get over Ming's kingdom, we should land near the entrance of the abandoned drain tunnel. Our ship can be well concealed there. I remember the place. Hello there, everyone. This is Barney. Welcome to Loco Ludus. Today's episode is another interview, or, well, really, it is another conversation. I think this probably is actually legitimately a conversation. It's Tom Barbelay back again. So he's been on the show a couple of times. I've been on his show a good few times. So what's particularly nice about this recording, I think, is for me, the, and I think for Tom too, the just the just the 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 vitality of the exchange that we have just keeps going and growing and that's that's wonderful um tom is on to talk about alluvial planes so to talk about my work the stone age rpg setting that i'm working on with spencer of Keep Off the Borderlands and David Sermon. So that has a really interesting impact on the discussion in that it kind of turns the tables on it a little bit and you might be forgiven for thinking or feeling that the episode is more like a just plain chaos episode. That is to say the podcast that Tom has, or one of the podcasts that Tom has. So Tom really puts me through my paces, if you like, or uh, uh, really asks me some very... uh, What's the word? Asks me very pertinent questions, really digs in, He's also very generous and encouraging and I thank him very much for that. So, what's the last thing to say? Oh, um, I mean, another nice upshot of Tom playing in the alluvial game, the alluvial planes game. Uh, a week or so ago, uh, in a, in addition to him wanting to run his own scenario, and Tom goes into that and his and his reasons for that in the discussion. The another aspect is that Tom has joined the project. And I won't say much more about that here. That, I'm sure, will come up in future. But it will, it also gets discussed in our conversation. So I'll leave all of that information for listeners uh, making it through this, this epic, but I think enjoyable, and rewarding exchange that we had. One more thing before I go. Listeners 
should really go and listen to the last few episodes of Spencer's Keep Off the Borderlands podcast where he talks about the magic system for alluvial plains and which I've taken part in at some points too. There are some really interesting call-ins that he's had from folk and so that's a very another very uh, exciting and rewarding addition to the Alluvial Plains project and certainly has a bearing, a direct bearing on the discussion with Tom here. So go and listen to those if you haven't already. See you. Hi, Tom. It's lovely to have you back on the show. Always a pleasure. And this evening we're going to be talking about alluvial plains. And I think uh, we've got a few a few explicit topics and perhaps some uh, spin-off topics as far as I'm aware. Um, I've, I wanted to say a couple of things. I found my character sheet for your game for Just Playing Chaos today. Mm. So I see that as a fortuitous sign of, of uh, things of substance, shall we say. <laughs> um, and I just had a school game of alluvial planes today. And, you know, every time, every play test, new things come up. Which Can I ask are, a, a question yeah. here? Yeah. So I went back through, and you now are recording multiple podcasts, and I've, I've just as a passive listener, I've lost track of how to find all the information in all the places. You've referred historically to the school game, yeah. but I don't have a. Is this with? I mean, you're an academic, so you know you could kind of refer to what your, your <laughs> space school few do in academic yeah. circles. But I know there are some folksy folk that like to refer to it, or you you have. Progeny as well, that I'm assuming attend educational institutions, so that could yeah. also be school. But for folks listening in like me, that mm. just occasionally get lost in, mm. in these things that are not explicitly defined, mm -hmm. what is the school game specifically? Okay, so to, to just be super clear, yes, the, the podcast goes its own, its own merry way. However, when I'm talking about the core vantage system, I indicate that in the title of the of the episode, and when it's to do with alluvial plains specifically, I put that in the title as well. And I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that. I'm just okay, saying. No, I'm just. I'm just the school part. I've yeah. listened to all the previous ones that I think have referenced alluvial plains at least. I'm pretty sure I did that. Well, leaning into it, and I still don't know what the school game specifically refers to. Okay, so the, two, the so I've talked about the school game. I think two twice. Um, and they, they're both in alluvial planes specific episodes. But it doesn't actually describe the setting, the school, what this thing actually... So you have referred to it repeatedly. <laughs> oh, what, you mean you want, you, want to know, you want to know what my school is like? Well, I guess... I, I mean, again, you're not actually this... OK, let, let, let's start <laughs> from... I yeah. come to this as a complete brain-dead yeah. novice. So and do I. Yeah, so do the, I. the notion of school, a school game... Indicates yeah. there are some players, it's in yeah. some environment, yeah. uh, maybe, you know, 
yet I don't know what that is as a thing. So you refer to the school game, but you don't actually refer to it has this number of players. They are of this age group. They are attending a university or a, a high school or a, you know, a primary school. I, I have no notion of what okay. the school game is in that context. So they are, they have got a small group of upper school. So they're basically like sixth form college if you're in Britain. I don't know what the equivalent is in the States or Australia. So are they 16 to 18 year olds? Are they, Something they, they, like that. They okay, might be 16 to 19. Part. Very yeah. good. Very good. How many? Um, there is, I think it's about five. Although mm. two of my, my two eldest children also joined in today. Okay. Um, so the, so it swelled a bit to seven. And I is think, the school today. where your two eldest children attend or is it a different school? Or It is. It is. It's the school that they attend, yeah. Okay. So you've been able to, in their school, create a group of playtesters of your experimental rule system. Could you talk about how that happened? Okay. Before the pandemic, um, I proposed to my big boss that I start uh, an, Eng a, you know, an English language games club. And I, I don't know what kind of interest I was expecting. And I was thinking that it might alternate between role play and board games. And, you know, and there could be some kind of rhythm between that and people would, you know, we'd signpost it for people who want to do play different things. Um, and then the pandemic hit. And of course, that put everything on the back burner. And I'm actually quite. I actually felt that that was quite a good thing because it gave me the opportunity to think about what I really wanted to do with the group, uh, the gaming group in the school, the thing I wanted to activate in the school. And of course, this was the time when I had started the playtesting of Alluvial Plains. Are you employed uh, by the school? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, so that's the missing it, yeah. piece. That's Sorry. the missing piece. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so this so, is a school that you were employed at. Your big boss is also employed by the school. Your yes, thought was, yeah. let's have an English language games club. Yes. As a means of, I guess, playfully exploring <laughs> this amazing language of ours. Yes. And, indeed, yeah. and that is how this came out with the view that what the games were wasn't explicitly defined at the time, but you thought somewhere through this, perhaps through the early parts of the pandemic, this would be an ideal setting to playtest alluvial plates. Yes, and I think as well because there's now this much greater emphasis on smaller group sizes. So I thought, okay, I can, I can, I can have a small group, and we don't push the, you know, the the regulations at all. Um, and and what did I really want to do? I really wanted to to play to play test alluvial planes, you know, in a campaign setting, if you like, in an ongoing setting. Um, so, you know, as an opportunity to test then the player progression, the, sorry, the character progression. Did the power dynamic concern you? Um, um, I mean, not more than it does in any job, in a sense. Um, uh, 
I've told them I've told them that in the group they should they should refer to me by my first name and then of course when we're in class settings <laughs> then of course it's back to it's back to Mr Dicker right um and yeah and they yeah you know they're they're at that they're at that upper end and they're, they're very good like they're basically all fluent in english mm. um so they've if you like they've got they've got that ability and interest to to really go places with the language so it so that's that's a really nice um prospect um so yeah of course of course i'm still the teacher and they're still the students um but 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 i think uh at least i think i think we're all i think we all want to minimize that as much as possible mm. does that answer your question about school game i think it uh, i mean yes and and have you ever defined it to this capacity in any of your podcast recordings um I would I would say that I have I've talked about being a teacher uh, and that I've started one I, I, uh, as part of that and that I have this four or five person group and that we've started so yes we're such I, in one of your buff podcasts I'm just trying to I'm trying to work out how I didn't actually come across that having tried to find this information through yeah. your podcast feed. If it was in a bathtub podcast, they they tend to be ones that I don't listen to. Okay. Just, but if it was in that context, then I apologise. You have to find it. And for those that I like think, your tubcast, I think I think it I think it might have it might have been the one where I walked to the garage. No, I listened to that in its entirety. It wasn't in there. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. we now have it defined, and hopefully, yeah, I've assisted at least a small fraction of your listeners as well, who may also be lost with regards to Tom this. Tom Barbelay, if you are mystified by the school game uh structure then I'm sure there must be uh there must be other people equally mystified too so thank you for I'm fighting the good fight exactly that's 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 one of the reasons we have you on isn't it wonderful um so so if if we uh, if we start then generally so last sunday as as promised i was it last sunday last sunday yes. i think yeah um as promised i offered you to i offered i offered you a place in a game with other living people yes um, and first and foremost let me thank you for that opportunity it was wonderful i think i've befriended everyone who was on that game on facebook excellent. and uh I, I my hope was to actually get them involved with the hunt which we'll talk about eventually yeah. unfortunately the hunt has ballooned dramatically in the past week Ooh. and uh through a variety of forwarded messages and other things we yeah. have people attending who i haven't actually gamed with previously okay which i think is going to be particularly interesting that's great but i think the hunt unfortunately may be closed for business for at least this iteration of it uh, okay. but we'll get to that at the time let me just say firstly thank you very much for um for presenting the game as you did the technical difficulties only took a small portion of it i don't want that to be any way burdensome i think having debugged technical difficulties both yeah. professionally and privately and for 
friends and family and all kinds of tension. She yeah. held up remarkably well through that. <laughs> as soon as we switched over to your phone, everyone was was um, you know one. I tell you, I think I think I'm just going to use my phone from now on. I really do. It's uh, yeah. I, God knows. Yeah. I mean, abs- I, I was in despair. At, at that yeah. Point. No. Look, then, believe me. <laughs> and then it kind of rocketed out from that. I I felt, and it was. Um, yeah, it was it was really good, and it was really great to have you there because, of course, it it you know, a key part as you as we will talk about, I'm sure, and yeah, as 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 you're aware, is the is the structure of the dice, and that comes back to lots of our discussions. Oh, most certainly, yeah, and um, and so and so so to have you in there is is it w- was was really super and i think we've got more we've got more that we can we can add to the discussion i think as we go right Certainly. about about that but if um, if i may if i may yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure i think you've referenced it previously but i come from divorced parents uh, my parents were divorced when i was in when i was about 11 and the experience that i had in that game in particular, the notion of there's bad stuff happening elsewhere. I need to get away as far as possible from the bad stuff. Huh. And then playing it out iteratively. The, for folks listening, and you have described this briefly, I think, in this podcast. But you basically, each individual player got between five to ten minutes worth of your time kind of in circulation. Mm-hmm. Which was great, particularly for those of us that were trying to strategize. Because okay. we didn't feel the pressure for the full time. We could actually think and take notes and work out and for me Uh specifically and i wanted to talk about this leading into the magic the things that interested me was was how the other players used weapons how these weapons had any effect in the environment how others strengths and you know for combat primarily and that i think is the missing piece associated with the discussion of magic that you've had so eloquently Uh with a number of other participants Uh so far is that i was looking at the the full spectrum of enacting force or you know taking damage or these kind of things from the universe and that's where the magic came into play was i realized actually the the role of magic even with the kind of shamanic structure and various other things was vastly more impactful i mean you had you know potentially bows breaking that's still an undecided thing whether or not the bow ever broke but it you know you had all these weapon interplays which did absolutely well i mean next to nothing a few minor you know bits and pieces but then you had magic time and time again coming in and actually changing the environment fundamentally from the very start of it and i thought this is fastly this is more powerful (laughs) than weaponry right and i came to it afresh i'd heard the background discussion associated with magic isn't that powerful in the system well i had a completely opposing view having only played the game for you know, 30, 40 minutes and observe that. Well, look, so let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's come back to magic. Let's come back mm-hmm. to magic in a bit because I think it's really, I'm, I'm really grateful to you about what you say about this, about this structure of going round the group. Um, I, I very deliberately wanted to, to, I think I said that in the last episode, that to stretch the proximity between the players and at the same time make them always remind them that they were connected so and i think that's what you're also saying that even though you had these even though we were going round 
and mm. people had time to pause and think and strategize. There was also time to listen. And I think, uh, I think, it, and particularly as well with the group, I think that sense of of the shared project is kept, you know, it was still there. So I think people were engaged even if they weren't playing because because everything was happening at such close proximity. And I think there can be a tendency in 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 role play games to just bunch people together. Mm. And and it's almost and it is that kind of Scooby Doo thing where they're all running as a group. Mm. Um, and I find that a bit absurd. And that idea of just letting people have their own bit of space and their own uh, challenges, I really like. Uh, but but just very quickly, so you wanted to, because of your past, you wanted to get away from the danger. Mm. That was your, no, I, yeah? think, I think I, as, as, a, as a, I mean, the nature of, uh, what's, what are the, I can't even think of the terminology, where you're forced to do things by the courts, which is the nature of divorce and children. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. But my my first reaction was always to get on my bike and ride as far and as fast away from whatever adults were trying to tell me in those circumstances. Mm. And this emotion was very much characterized in the circumstance mm. of this adventure. And mm. I think while you say we were all connected, the stuff that was happening appeared to be happening, you know, tens, if not potentially hundreds of feet away from me. But at the same point, no good appeared to be happening up there. It's an interesting transition, actually, between the toppling point of when the thugs who were, had already, you know, bashed and killed the majority of our tribe mm. were throwing mm. them into the into the crevasse that I was in. Mm. The nature of that tipping point, I didn't really realise. I thought there was certainly more thugs out there. The fact there was only a small handful that just had the body disposal duties and, of course, mm. the shaman drummer et al that there seemed to be a lot more menace initially and the rounding up of that menace to the point where the other characters were able to you know actually kick drums and do these kind of things it was very strange to me because my anticipation was that the tribe was being wiped out this was clearly the end of the tribe it was a futile fight for those that were left above ground and my response was to get as far away from it as possible mm -hmm. You and I also like pushing the boundaries as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about pushing the boundaries historically, and I thought, well, if I'm in this environment, I might as well push the boundaries as far as possible. Yeah, and I mean, so two things, two things there very quickly. I I totally wanted it to be an open choice for your character to climb down or to climb up, um, and 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 that I. I felt was was a totally open offer either way. So it's really interesting that you went with climbing down, and it was a shame that Fabian, one of the other players, yes. couldn't couldn't be part of the game because he would have been down the bottom. Yes. Um, the the other thing was that I, in my mind, and I'm maybe slightly jumping ahead here to the magic again, but we'll come to that. <laughs> the know, elephant in the room. The Room. Anyway, let's continue. Well, well, the fact, in my mind, the fact that you were playing a cartographer, that I find just as interesting. And I mm. was, I was thinking, oh, uh, Tom, Tom will do all sorts of interesting stuff in terms of cartography and and thinking about the space and using using that character dimension 
um, you know, to be underground in a in a civilized realm and um, well, civilized. But you know, I th I th I thought maybe you would have um, found as much to role play with that. Well, I did that implicitly. I think oh, the of course, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. the danger element, particularly having bodies literally falling on top of yeah. me, yeah. was I, I wanted to play that out, and I wanted to play that out in the context of um, just escaping that environment. Yeah. And what was interesting was it wasn't as an escape at all. It just put me in front of a, <laughs> a variety of, of different problems, yeah. which I then had to... And it's interesting, actually, the power dynamic. I wanted to also play a little bit YOLO. Folks will have to listen to, I think, my rules are better in order to expand more on what I mean by that. But I wanted to play the character a little bit more like, you know, this character was just going to do outlandish stuff in yeah. order to survive, even if it meant when I came upon a, a tribe of subterranean, you know, cannibals that um, I should be their leader. <laughs> Why Tom, not? <laughs> Tom, I, I tell you, that's exactly what I want, isn't it? I mean, you know, you know, we've exactly this, this idea of perturbation that, that we've talked about. I absolutely think that that relationship between GM and player is, is brilliant. And, and, and that's not a negative thing at all. I think it's, it's that, that friction has to be a positive friction. So you absolutely spurred on that possibility. And, and I think, you know, in a, in a, the whole game in an outlandish way is exactly like your, exactly like, you know, it's, it's like your simulations of, um, of, of, of our own ancient history. So mm. imagine, imagine, you know, what, you know, you've, you've made the proposal, you made the proposal that your character would attempt to, to, to kind of pass as one of these subterraneans and to, and to become their leader. So, you know, we've got enough space. There's a, there are enough gaps in human prehistory in in a gaming perspective to 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 tell that story if you like to 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 stray near the narrative and story word there for a moment well in another life in another podcast at another time we can discuss yeah. how i track radical agents within simulator tribes because that mm. in and of itself is fascinating yeah but let us let us stick with the game yeah so 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 i suppose to start off with the the the, the core rules and the core the game if there's anything more to say about the game i don't know if you have anything the format of the text was something that really annoyed me and I've reformatted the text for myself and then looked at it and thought to myself, what is this saying about Barney and what is this saying about me? And why? <laughs> and I th it's, it's to do in some regard with visual asymmetry, but it's also to do with the way I read things. Yeah. And I'm typically a speed reader, but I'd like to have long runs of text. The tiny, short, I think you have five or six paragraphs in the document. It's kind of like the columns, this, sorry, five or six columns in the document 
this kind of stuff just perturbs me no, and kind of breaks in my nerves. It's, it's four columns, man. It's four okay. columns. Okay, it feels okay. like seven. I'll okay. tell you what, the first version, I, so the first thing I want to say is this is none of, none of the formatting is at all significant for any end product. But, but absolutely, it's, these are really important things. I think the first version of the rules that I had sent out to play testers was six pages as well. And it was just your standard portrait, mm. uh, mm -hmm. full, full width. Um, and, and some of them were saying, oh, yeah, I got to page three and kind of my eyes were closing or something like that. They wanted me to explain it. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Some people find those long, those long lines difficult to stick with. And... Look. There and are, you, there are and you don't, spectrums. Look, my view is that there's, there are spectrums to all of this. What I will say is, look at the offerings on Lulu, and the ones that, that move past two columns, I think don't have the same impact as the ones that... And the history of two column for this stuff obviously dates back to early D&D. So two columns, I think, uncontroversial, easy to put together... Four columns, it's looking, and you have said you want it to be a pamphlet. And I know you've used those terms, and I thought, well, this is probably the folksy, and, you know, I've never actually, I, actually I, have a, I have printed it. I've never folded it like a pamphlet to oh, get that yeah. sense. So, yeah. but I think in general, yeah, this was one of the things that really annoyed me early on. In fact, there were a few things that annoyed me early on. Um, <laughs> the description of the, the dice system. Yeah. As soon as I got to the app, then with your direct feedback, it required discarding what I had read, looking at the app with a few additional bits of information of your feedback, specifically that you were only trying to get one of these three possibilities. You select the one possibility that you want at the start, yeah. Yeah. flip over to the other screen and roll. That explained to me immediately, which I don't know how I didn't get through the words, but I don't think you were actually explaining the dice rolling app anywhere in the document. Aside no, from saying absolutely. It's yep. So that, I think, was just the context yep. missing there. I'm going yep. to record a YouTube video to explain that to people. We'll talk about the hunt <laughs> okay. at the end. But no, my view is that that's easily, easiest explained with yeah. a YouTube video where you just say to people and you demonstrate it on a phone or whatever that you're filming. Yeah. And you just say, this is the dynamic, this is how it's done. And that, I think, saves probably about half a page from or more from the rules explicitly if it's shown. Yeah, um, interesting. And I think that dynamic also then simplifies a lot of the explanations. Mm. For me, when I play The Hunt, I'm going to play it with a subset of the rules plus the additional combating you know, monstrous creatures. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think what interests me in running the hunt is to illustrate to you explicitly the way with regards to magic, let's say the mm -hmm. M word, mm -hmm. and with regards to uh, player interaction. And I think the dice can actually be used even more richly than you're currently using them. But I want to try that out in the hunt explicitly mm -hmm. to show by example. Anyway, let's continue. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, I think I think you know another elephant in the room with all of this is this idea that one is still using physical dice, and um, it's a well, it's a split. It's a half element elephant mm. uh, 
um, because it's really interesting that you say that by by walking through the di the online dice roller, you you can immediately pick up the the, the basic dynamics of the dice. No, pool. it actually required it required a little bit more. That's the thing that I find fascinating. It could be a little bit of help, just text help or yeah. some kind of example. Yeah. But the additional piece was that you were looking by selecting the bottom, i.e., you know, hard, mm -hmm. extreme, mm -hmm. moderate. Mm -hmm. That then informs the secondary screen on the rolling. And yeah. I played with the app quite a bit. I thought it was a bug at first because it made no sense to me from reading the document to using the app. It required you saying that explicitly in the game. Just like okay, that holds together. Well, well, okay. Then, then, just to be clear, the 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 instructions do not contain any explanation of the app. Certainly. So it's that is purely for if you're picking up real dice on the table, um, and you're absolutely right. There needs to be an explanation for the for the for the for the dice roller. Um, which again, which again is is despite all of the work that's gone into it by my wonderful brother-in-law, is is still a work in progress, right? It's, well, it's interesting. Um, my immediate reaction when I used it before getting the final information was, I need the source code to this app to understand what it's doing. That's that's a personal proclivity thing. Mm, but mm. I thought the source code to the app, like if you open sources, if you throw it up on GitHub or GitLab or GitHub or whatever, then, um, you know, then I get my intimacy my own particular proclivity intimacy with mm. the the means or the the reasons for doing things within the app which didn't seem mm. immediate but through literally less than a minute's worth of you talking mm. on the day everything mm. kind of mm. locked in mm -hmm. and i think that i'm going to try and do with a youtube video mm -hmm. uh it also gives me an opportunity to uh to show both a new and uh i don't know what it is an 1830s book that is really the basis of the hunt, mm. but we'll get mm. into that a little later. I keep, nice. I keep running ahead here, Barney. I'm sorry. No, it's good. No, it's good. Yeah. I mean, um, if if people, I mean, I assume people, you know, know you and they know me, and they've, you know, I assume people can understand that we are talking about a Stone Age role play game project. Um, I assume, I assume that much. So. Um, was there anything more about the rules to say for now, or? or I, we... I look, look as a footnote to the rules. Yeah. I when I first was delivered them, I found it absolutely fascinating because it showed your own personal proclivities with a certain degree of intimacy. The things, and obviously you'd workshopped it a few times, but the things that you found important in the rules illustrated to me very clearly why. You felt there were deficiencies in my just plain chaos rules. And I thought what was fascinating through that was it really gave me a kind of id Barney Dicker gaming like distilled thing. Yeah. And it made me realize that all subsequent rules that you create are going to contain these particular proclivities. Now, how do I offset those proclivities as a player? Yeah. How do I yeah. actually make you see that there are dynamics here look you have the same reason to abuse my rules without question but the what i found fascinating was that this was um such an intimate psychological sense of you working through it and i found this through the yeah. podcast as well 
I found the way that you take critical feedback through the podcast associated with the rule set absolutely fascinating. And that I, was a topic that I thought I might be able to slot into this discussion somehow. But I yeah. find it fascinating to see how people take critical feedback as a means of refining works that they are, are doing. And I think you're... I don't know. I mean, it's something that there's been a as an intimate point for the listeners to this podcast. Barney and I have very different ways of approaching the universe, as has been established both <laughs> off recording and on recording many a time. And I often think if I had if I had your particular perspective, would the world be a brighter place? <laughs> and I think in many cases it probably would be. I think you have a very particular perspective associated with conflict resolution, associated with dealing with kind of critical discourse, which is very different to the way that I view the world, but completely holistically perfect for you. And I found both in the writing of the rules, but also as you've narrated and explored and probably really tormented your listeners in terms of going through these alluvial plane rules and, uh, and taking every piece of feedback and then trying to either ratify the feedback to something that needs mm -hmm. to be included in the rules or in some cases deny the feedback and find plenty of counterexamples to make you feel comfortable with the fact that this feedback probably shouldn't impact the rules. That has been a fascinating process mm -hmm. as well. Um, well, of course, I can take some inspiration from, from you and my rules are better for... for opening up that that space for mm. open open Discuss reflection yeah. yeah um so i would say a couple of things i i really with with this with the system the vantage system i really wanted to create the kind of role play system that exactly like you say speaks to me does plays out how I want a game to play out, but then, and this is the crucial thing, having having announced that, if you like, it's it's really uh, important to me or valuable to me to to see how that resonates with other people, and and to try and come up with something that is not just uh, is not just my, you know, if you like, I don't know, like top down or my authoritarian view, like it or lump it kind of thing, but actually something that, uh, something that could be meaningful for, for more than, more than just me, more, more mm. people than just me. Mm. And um, the, the interesting cutoff is basically people who don't like dice pools. Mm. Um, not so not people who are kind of indifferent uh and of course i'm i'm aiming for people who do like them or are open to the prospect of dice pools but people who aren't interested in dice pools this is not a game for them it just is not a game for them and i and i and i'm not interested in 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 the in engaging in that i'm interested in playing games with them maybe playing other systems but this is a game for people who like dice pools and um and i think you know when when i first started with it it was very very simple and and it's been a case of 
but, but like it always feels like it's the same thing but it's but it has grown and refined and gone on Certainly. and on and on always feels like the same game mm. um but it's it's really interesting to see how how the how it grows because often things grow in relation to a problem or a need um mm. or or a, or a recognition of of another layer of complexity that that should come up should be able to come up um and be facilitated um and so that process has been great and and yeah the, i mean but the 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 feedback that i get is really really fascinating and just to kind of finish that this process it's really interesting sorting and I have spoken about this that on the when someone gives you feedback, on the one hand, it's objective because you're presenting them with your thing, if you like. So they give you their perspective on it. And that's a kind that has an objectivity about it. That's not something, you know, for them, it's not something necessarily that's intrinsic to them or has come out of them or what their, you know, their connection is normally perhaps one of some distance, if you like. Now, that, of course, develops and changes over time. People get to know the rules and so on and so on and so on. But it's those those responses are also subjective. So it's really interesting sorting out the objective elements from the, the purely subjective elements and then also sorting out the differences between what's, uh, if you like, what's the rule what's the world setting rules and then what are the styles um so you know we're going to come on to how i handled magic in the last session right and and i said to you in some messages that it was uh it was the most magicked up mm. uh, uh adventure that i had done and i think one of the reasons for that was i had a new version of the shamanic system much simpler much mm. more aligned with the system and i just want to give it a go so you kind of like you say you want to push you want to push these things and test them and with every single play test even if i couldn't tell you exactly what it is i am aiming to test i i know that i am there is something there and i'm not trying to check everything i'm not testing everything I'm really, there's just a few things and they're usually the latest iterations of things and certainly the things that other people haven't actually played through yet. Three points, yeah, if I may. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've held on to them. Um, the first, probably not to be explored in this recording, but something that I'd like to reflect on with you in a future recording. Dice pools are an homage to Games Workshop in okay. some very real sense. Put that okay. one aside. Second one. Um, this game that we played on Sunday, as I realized, and one of the reasons actually that I befriended all the players on Facebook, I think a majority, if not all of us, had all written our own rule systems at some stage. Some were for sale, some were available for download, but all the people who played on Sunday had a rule system that they had created, ratified, and had supported through some length of game playing. I, I think that might be a relatively unique characteristic of the game last okay. Sunday. I'm not sure 
if you've done that previously. But you were bringing together a group of people who had created their own rule system at some stage, which I think is incredibly powerful. Final point. Mm-hmm. I the 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 borderlands between subjectivity and objectivity, and certainly something that I found particularly with your discussions with uh, Joe Richter that I just wanted to point out. Mm-hmm. I felt what was um, incredibly objective and um, and based on things which Spencer echoed both when I was on at the game mm-hmm. at the end mm-hmm. when we had that mm-hmm. discussion, but also in his responses to audio responses following. I felt what I thought was incredibly objective feedback in your discussions with Joe moved to objective feedback based on like missed bits in the process. Quite frustrating. And really, I think I sent you an email to this effect that the best way to have this discussion is to have me on your podcast so we can actually talk about it rather than have people kind of. And I think that's what's interesting in your in your division between subjective and objective feedback is that this this line is not concrete, right? This is something which can be blurred, can be transitioned. But returning, I think, to the point with regards to the 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 thought and the eloquence and the... And I'm not talking about myself here. I'm talking about others in the group on Sunday. Mm-hmm. The diversity of rule systems that that group had created. Mm-hmm. Have you run games like that previously where you've brought together other like rules creators to specifically look at alluvial planes? Well, so I would say, I would say that so far, and as far as I can look into the future, I'm, I'm really spoiled for mm. play testers. Um, and so I've had play testers who have, you know, who, who are just gaming veterans whether, you know, in terms of years or in terms of how many systems they, they run. Um, most people GM as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so I would it wasn't say, unique. This is what you're saying. It well, wasn't no, unique. No, no, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, is I've, got, I've got people with great emotional intelligence great analytic minds, great gaming experience, GMing experience, um, creativity, imagination, um, kind of openness and relaxedness for for such play. Um, um, and within that as well, a significant number of people who have either yeah, written their own rules or think very deeply and analytically mm-hmm. about gaming. Um, I, I think so. On so, I think it was a particularly unique configuration, and I think I've also that's I have, I have in a, uh, I have in a way been curating the groups. Not overly. It's often circumstantial. Uh, it's it's about timings, world timings. So when so when I you know, if I have to play in the morning, if I want to play with Japan and Australia, um, so so it's so it's sometimes those kinds of aspects. But but a little bit, a little bit. When you think, oh right, okay, I could play, I could put that person and this person in the game, and oh yeah, okay, right, okay, and and so really trying to 
yeah, trying to do my best in a, in a non-judgmental way to put people together who I think will enjoy the session and will also offer something in terms of the feedback to offer, mm. you know, shape the kind of feedback that I get. And so just to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you can speak now about the magic more and, and I, and I'm sorry to have frustrated you a little bit uh, with, with the other episode because it, that wasn't at all the, the intention. And, um, and it's, you know, it's always like you've already said, it's kind of an open house and an open discussion. <laughs> and I think and I think what's really fascinating is and again, this comes back to the subjective and the objective that I think what we're all doing in this community of, if you like, critics, gaming critics, analysts, whatever we want to makers, whatever we are, podcasters. All of this, Podcasters, yes. there we go. People who open our mouths and talk about it is that exactly. we take we take these kind of personal things that come out of our mouths and we then put them in this middle space. Mm. So, so when we when we you know disagree or have different perspectives on things, what's what's really interesting is that that's for me. I think that's not it's not about personal. Well, it's unfortunate if it ever tips into a kind of a personal uh, annoyance or a conflict or something, because what we're really doing is really exploring the potential of these games, this hobby that we do, and, mm. and exploring all of those different points of view that we have and where we see things starting and ending becoming too much of this or not enough of that and everyone everyone has totally different um levels of if you like normality in all of these totally bizarre things so so please tom go for it we we, we had this adventure we are three quarters of an hour in and yes. my view is we need to talk about magic, yes. right? Let yeah. me start the discussion Do by it. saying that uh, for the hunt, which hopefully we will be able to talk about maybe in the fourth hour of this recording, um, I wanted to find a very specific shaman. Mm -hmm. And I went out into my broader social group. I actually worked with this gentleman and I've never played a game with him previously. I'm assuming he, his knowledge of deep nerd culture is good. I knew he must have role played at some at some time. <laughs> That's true. He had role played at some time. I want a shaman who is a a perhaps somewhat mm, how would one describe it? A storyteller beyond all reproach for a start, uh, with a comedic edge, perhaps a slightly caustic comedic edge, who is clearly an outsider, but at the same point knows the boundaries of his knowledge and is able, or their knowledge, but in this case specifically his knowledge, and is able to frame that in a way that still keeps people guessing about how much he actually knows in the circumstance. Sure. Sure. And yeah. I think magic for me, and this goes back to, uh, again, in my podcast, folks, unfortunately you'll have to go listen to that in my rules are better, but we had a good discussion associated with a gentleman called Matthew Gibson, who will be playing in the hunt and also mm -hmm. is an archaeologist 
Mm. So two big ticks there. Anyway, Matthew Gibson for me is someone who I've known for 30 years now, more than 30 years. He changed my life inextricably when I was about 11, playing a game of RuneQuest that he was GMing. And he created a sense of how I should change my GMing style to be more like his. The game that we were playing had a very specific set of perspectives on magic where it was considerably minimalist. I would say ideally more magic than Alluvial Plains, but certainly considerably less magic than any other role-playing game I had played mm -hmm. up until that point. I think the magic system, as it was pitched to me in Alluvial Plains, mm -hmm. would have been light touch, slightly inspired magic, where maybe the Shaman has some kind of inkling about the future, which 90% of the time would be right, 10% of the time would be tragically wrong, hence finding a shaman that has a good narrative to back mm -hmm. up all its failures previously. Mm -hmm. And instead, and Spencer has done the groundwork for me for this, I'd like to thank Spencer um, specifically for talking about the conclusion of the game mm -hmm. where magic was used and... In part, I was I had instigated some of that because I was about, firstly, I was not a shaman, but I wanted to have some shamanic skills and I pushed some of those boundaries. But also I wanted to confront shamans specifically when they came into my you know, realm and started confronting me, specifically because I thought that, the, that that was a realm of kind of exploration within the magic system, particularly once I'd realized after the first 30 odd minutes of the game the magic was considerably more powerful than I had been told about, right? That there was actually, and this could have been, this could have been specifically, and I think this is why Joe was so important in this discussion, was that you had worked with Joe literally hours leading up to when the game was played to get Joe's character specifically as he wanted it. Hopefully I haven't said specifically well, seven like last minute. Well, but well, my view is that that actually shaped the game as well. Okay. I think I think your 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 I think it did it did shape the game. I mean, basically, I all of the players that I had shaped the game. I thought I want to do things in the game for all of them, and maybe that comes back to the game designer type of thing. That, you know, who, these great players that I've got. I want to I want to offer them all something. Um, but I hadn't worked with Joe for hours beforehand. I had worked to try and with you to try and get his audio working. Oh, okay. I thought you'd actually had some communication, no. but it didn't actually work what, out. What, okay. I, what I basically did was um, Joe had said, oh, I'd, I, I really want to be a shaman. Um, I'm reading the rules. I really want to be a shaman. And he wanted to create his own character. And I offered everyone the opportunity to make their own characters. And everyone else basically said, just give me a pre-gen, it's fine. I mean. So so that was totally fine. But I also didn't want to stop Joe from doing that because it's it's also really valuable to to just let people make their own characters and Without see question. how it works out. Certainly. Because it's yeah, it's you know, it's easy for me to just make them um, ad hoc. Um, I, I mean, I totally, I totally, totally take on yours and Spencer's points about, if you like, 
the ontology of the magic in the world being too much or I, I, I can I'm, I'm totally open to that idea that there is that the magic was too manifest if you like but I do still I do still feel that actually the magic that you and Joe performed was was very very low and could still be explained away by something else which is not to deny that there wasn't something else going on, but the other shaman, you know, however, the other shaman, however, yeah, did do higher orders of magic, right? Um, I mean, really, all all that happened at the end was that somehow, gravitationally, psychologically, I don't know what you um, not it was it was Joe and Spencer, wasn't it? They somehow could not move from the spot they were just somehow held there and that was it all that that would mean facilitate is the cannibals coming to get them there was no there were no actual spirits coming up through the ground if 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 the spirits are invoked to, to hold to hold them down that is just the logic of 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 that shamanic system but th but there weren't you know corpses coming up from the ground uh grabbing hold of them and holding onto them everything could have been just a psychological fantasy or a, or a coincidental occurrence i think i would say in cumulation through the adventure certainly as an observer and occasional participant, there seemed to be more, and obviously this was attributed to actual shamanic acts that were conducted and dice were rolled and these kind of things. The yeah. impact seemed far greater than even missile and melee combat. And I think that was something that stuck with me through the game just as a, mostly as an observer, I did state it explicitly. Hey, mm -hmm. Shaman seemed to be the only game in town here. How do I get some of these you know, shamanic yeah. stuff happening with me? Which I look, the fact that I could actually do that in the game is, is I think, actually more power to the game's rules. I wanted to say that as a positive. Sure. But having said that, I think magic is so um, important, definitional. It's so much a distinction between what we see in our world, unless you read Hume et al. Um, and that is something that I think players, particularly players that you had, had congregated, you mm -hmm. brought together a group of people that weren't just noobs. You mm -hmm. brought together a group of people that had sensitivity with universe creation, right? Mm -hmm. And that I think ultimately was perhaps the downfall to have two of us together um <laughs> echoing these sentiments if i could draw light to it i would like to see the potential for a spectrum of magic here to be used in alluvial planes maybe to be agreed upon or discussed prior my interest in running the hunt is that it happens mm. probably what ten thousand years prior maybe five to ten thousand years prior and that linguistically um associated with social dynamics and certainly associated with shamanic practices will be definitional in the hunt. Um, I do intend, perhaps if I can, 
to run it in a single session. And I'm going to be doing things slightly differently than you did your session in order to try and get that to work. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But anyway, let's continue with magic. Um, um, so, I mean, one thing I, I really want to say, mainly for listeners, because I think you already know it, but magic is, is precisely for all these reasons that we're talking about and the whole discussion has been about, is, is the thing that, is, that still hasn't quite found its correct form in the game. And that's why this discussion and all of these discussions are so important and why it's so important that, uh, that, that Spencer is happy with it, that if you like, true to the concept that, of this, this prehistoric setting, that it, that it needs, to, needs to work right. And, um, and so... As much as I as much as I enjoyed the game, I I I totally take on. I, I'm already aware of the fact that the magic, the shamanic powers, are not yet, or at least you know, certainly not in my mind or in anybody's mind. They're not at all fixed. And 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 i and i think yes i think on balance like you say cumulatively it it's it but it's such a it's such a difficult thing to get to get right because it's either underwhelming and therefore unappealing or boring or unnecessary within the rules or it's overpowered like you say so so to find i'm sure it is possible and Determined this is why I think the character of the shaman is important here. This is why I'm bringing yes. in this, this special yes. shaman, um, is yeah. because I think that covers some of it. Like, if you have a shaman who is, is upbeat and also because the shaman has to define themselves in the group as having these abilities, even if they don't have them perfect, they have to have these abilities to give themselves importance in the group. Yes. And I think you can have underwhelming magic but overwhelming shaman and that I think might alleviate some yes. of this. Yeah, but yeah, as, yeah, absolutely. As, as showman, fresh, not shaman, yes. showman. Showman, showman, shaman, yes. Let us, if we can, move on perhaps to the hunt just briefly yeah. Yeah. Uh, to talk so, about that. So can if, I just yeah. can I just so, preface this then to say so so Tom, after our game and after this fascinating uh, heated debate that we had about about magic um you said can i run a game i've got an idea that to me was just wonderful and i'm so fascinated and i can't wait to play it it's great i and... realized that it had to be taken out of your experience right this this thing is intimately yours through your experience to date and certainly as i played early on it wasn't really till the last probably quarter of the game where i thought to myself and the background to the hunt is comes from a, a kind of a mystic academic. He was kind of a crazed individual in the the prehistory of um, evolutionary biology. A gentleman by the name of William Buckland, who basically had many. He was. It's like one of these, you know, classic historic polymaths that mm -hmm. was just at the right place at the right time, and found through exploration caves that contain well a cave specifically that contained 
mammoth bones and human bones commingled. And that opened up prior to Darwin, a, a generation really prior to Darwin, a new perspective on the potential of long time step evolution for a start, and also a variety of other interesting things. I found it was a, 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 an apex, for want of a better term, uh, of, of two things that had happened. And I realized that a copy of his uh, first edition was also available by an old academic in, in Boston was selling his copy. So I contacted him, purchased a copy of his book. It is, uh, I'm a bibliophile, uh, trying to reform bibliophile of uh, many generations, unfortunately, on both sides of my family. This thing with books, particularly first edition old books that capture magic, adventure, science, history. You know, this book is like a perfect combination of everything mm. that I love in, in book form. I have a reprint in front of me because my original edition, I will probably only bring out for a YouTube video very carefully because it is oh, an old, yes. it is an old thing. But the, this story caught me as I'm not, although I simulate early humanoid creatures, I very, you know, my, my academic rigor occurs when I go into universities, talk to academics and they say, oh, what you're doing explains this phenomena or what you're doing explains this phenomena. I went through a period of time where I academically published, I don't do that anymore. But I still continue to be fascinated by how things like cognitive evolution can be mm -hmm. simulated and described. Anyway, a quarter, uh, three quarters of the way through this game, I thought to myself, Barney is so intimately collected with the GMing process here, he doesn't have a sense of what being a player is like in this game. And I thought, okay, so how do I frame this? And the beauty was that, you know, it was 10-minute intersections, although I think there were just three of us left, so it was, you know, we were, things were moving yeah. faster towards the end of the game. I thought, I can run this. How can I run this game? The first question to me. I have partial rules. I like these bits of the rules. I think I can run this game. Okay, so that was decided. I've got to do it in a setting very similar to what Barney has done, i.e. a single session for a variety of reasons in my own life that will mm. become apparent maybe in the future, maybe currently. My life is just so hectic currently. I need to do this in a single session. What would it take for me to get the Buckland writing and then the exploration, and in particular, the fact that Alluvial Plains currently doesn't have a monster manual, and mm -hmm. it really is missing a sense of, it's still very much about humanoid interaction, and it misses the greatest concern of humans through this period of time, which is uh, predation, starvation, you know, all the things that basically we've worked out in these horrible city things that we are all mm -hmm. live in. Um, and these fears frame so much of the evolution of human psychology through this period, right? So I thought, okay, it's a big adventure. It's a hunt. It's got to have mammoths. I think I can do this thing. So kind of squirrely towards the end of the game, just when I think Barney was feeling probably most defeated and he had Spencer and I on either side beating him with the uh, <laughs> no, no, no. about how could you run this game and say magic wasn't really important when it was the most important thing. I ventured out and said, look, I would like to run a game with the view that the worst thing that can happen here is the rules can be burnt 
you know, within the first five minutes and it could just be some kind of freeform craze, you know, <laughs> a thing, which I'm willing to, you know, own as well if it happens that way. But I thought the, the most important thing I want to take from this is to give Barney the opportunity to be a player. And I know since this time, Joe has also offered to run a game as well. Um, and my view is that the the luxury that you'll get in being a player mm. is very distinct from what you've done so far as a GM. Mm. And I thought this is a this is a way because really what I'm interested here is in you've pushed me and perturbed me in a variety of different directions, and I'd like to do the same stuff with regards to you. So mm. I think that um, framing that and giving me enough time to kind of devote a couple of hours every other night to you know getting this together the maps are the part that i'm in currently mm. and the nature of the time constraint as well i want to tell an impactful dangerous mm. story with elements of human psychology the the it's not even a tribe the reason it isn't a tribe is because five years prior to the current hunt that they're going out on there was a previous hunt where the elders and um chiefs want a better term the leaders of the various family groups were all mm. all disappeared they went out to hunt mammoth and they never came back and this created various schisms within these families and that in part is part of the reason that this hunt needs to happen is mm. that the the families need to reconnect and have some sense that they are firstly capable of taming for want of a better mm. term some aspects of the environment. So there's all this kind of interesting psychology, plus an absolutely, um, if I can use the term batshit, crazy shaman. Um, mm -hmm. All these things have to come together in this thing. So my view also is um, the need for a monster manual seems to be a given as well, which gives me an opportunity to work with um, you and Spencer in particular, and also uh, David's illustrations potentially could be very useful mm -hmm. here, so we don't have to use any you know, copyrighted images. Um, but I think the need for a monster manual, and with the view that D&D &D for me was mm -hmm. the monster manual for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Like the whole thing associated with fantasy was these mythical, you know, be it from Greek mythology or Norse mythology or, you know, continental European mythology or, you know, British mythology. I think the, the monster manual is the missing part in alluvial plains to actually also to set the time period mm -hmm. the, the hunt is considerably earlier than the alluvial plains so i mean i well so so i was i was thinking we we're about twenty thousand years ago yeah for twenty thousand fits into twenty thousand fits okay for regular alluvial plains yeah but 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 in in a sense I mean, you're pointing to a really, really interesting aspect of specificity that I guess so far I was really thinking, well, it doesn't really doesn't really matter because we're not we're not concerned with the landscapes, how they are now. So if they were fluctuating in the past, they could be here, could be there, that time is not measured in the same ways. But, you know, I was thinking 20,000. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because Spencer was thinking closer to present day, which is so, interesting. It's Spencer so, so, said Neolithic specifically, whereas you're talking 
Paleolithic, Mesolithic, right? So yeah. it, it's interesting that you, and the importance, which is why I think having, I hope, I really hope Matthew Gibson is going to give us a certain degree of freedom because to have a scholar in the field, yeah. even you pointing out the fact that I use the term early humans, um, <laughs> in my I'm like, oh no, there is so much scholarship here. I, all I can do is tread on toes, right? So yeah. Yeah. My, my view is that if we can come to the agreement that this is just going to be a fun game and the yeah. history that we get wrong is just the history that we get wrong. But I think what, what fascinated me was that I hadn't really considered how distinctly different, I mean, just in terms of the, the fauna, flora, you know, monstrous critters, mm. this whole thing changes dramatically mm. through these periods. Mm. And um, anyway, so that is the hunt. So, 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 so just to say, mainly for listeners here, I guess, because I'm not really telling you anything you don't know, it's always been our intention to have a bestiary uh, as part of it. And this is always just a thing you know, the next thing, if you like, on the list. And so the fact that you are doing this, Tom, is fantastic. So so for any any listeners out there, Tom has now joined the team and is responsible <laughs> for the bestiary, yes, um, which, yes, will be accompanied by David's wonderful drawings. And I think that will be a great thing. And, and as we've talked about, there'll be a hunt scenario and... And I think, yeah, some specifics about from you about the hunting, I think, will be re a really nice little valuable contribution. And just to say, um, some of the early playtests, um, they ran up, uh, the, the players ran up against uh, a, a big bear mm -hmm. and uh, that didn't go well for them at all. And today... Mm. There was um, a taming of a cat, wasn't there? Or a taming... Well, so, some so creature this was, was tamed. This yeah, this is the school group. So a while ago, they managed to tame a lynx. Yeah. Um, not not too not too well. It's still a little bit wild, but that adventure's continued. And today, um, mm -hmm. some saber-toothed tigers came prowling around Wonderful. and messed up messed up the lynx owner pretty mm. badly today um, mm. in the game. So. Um, have so, any of the players ever, this is an aside, but have any of the players ever tried to tame a feral cat? What, themselves? Yeah, themselves. I think it's a personal experience. <laughs> I, tried, I have tried. Uh, we have one feral cat that I'm yeah. just currently, through a variety of different mechanisms, some shamanic, might I say as well, yeah, um, yeah. trying to tame. But it is a really strange experience to encounter particularly a feline that is wild and in some cases i mean i've tried with cats that just have no means of really even communicating with humans but it is interesting when you have limited success in the area you immediately become an expert let me just say um but it is fascinating how difficult it is to and there are the, some are easier than others based on the experiences that they have had in their lives and you can see this through injury alone in some cases. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting. And we own cats that were semi-feral when we got them as well. Mm -hmm. So I have been successful in this area in some light. And my failures far outweigh my successes, might I but say. But it, it's uh, fascinating. Yeah. But some uh, right would I be right in saying that some cats and dogs and other animals they just they also just kind of lose it at some point. You know, they they go off and they don't come back or they start behaving really weirdly. So you can also have 
cats that have been quite domestic yes suddenly you know start bringing in you know mice uh and behaving really erratically and um you know as their as the years pass yeah um anyway so um um um, um yes tom that, had, um, had any of the students however had this experience though i didn't ask them and i didn't ask them because this is this is the joy of it all isn't it in a world that might be mildly uh mildly tinged with with magic um, and having a relatively open, uh, you know, a relatively open system, people can attempt things that may or may Certainly. not, uh, may or may not come off. And if they do, um, then then you've got to live with the consequences. Um, so uh, animal rapport. So in the new in the new reduced abilities list, there aren't all of the 20 odd abilities that there were before. So animal rapport has to has to find a way to exist either in a shamanic sense or in in a in a, a natural world sense. I'm I'm possibly jumping the gun there or I can't remember what I've said about this already in the in the podcast but there was you know there were 20 odd abilities and some were more redundant or specialist than others and instead i wanted to compress it down to have a much uh cleaner briefer character sheet but that would still retain all of that possibility so that was that was when animal rapport was still a a distinct ability mm. that was neither shamanic nor mm. um standard shall we say so yes. um not that we're not that we're going to try it we're, presumably we're not going to try and tame any mammoths so are we it's fascinating to read <laughs> the history of attempts which i don't even know how they do this the wikipedia entries so they're they're basically like giant bestial cattle and apparently they have recorded attempts one near in in asia somewhere and one mm. in europe somewhere at different times in history where they attempted to tame these large you know bestial cattle mm. and i thought how on earth like i i know the chi look the chinese are amazing associated with their level of history particularly written history if you ever start and you may mm. have fallen into this you start to realize how really poor um, particularly, you know, churches keeping marriage and death and birth records. I mean, mm -hmm. now, like they, they did it to just an extreme to when the whole nature of history. And it's fascinating because I have uh, Chinese co-workers, some of whom like to talk about Chinese history as well. Mm. Uh, there's also the beautiful like mythology stuff as well, which I think we, we need to talk about at some mm. other record. I think mm. I talked about it briefly associated with the Operation Sea Line uh, mm -hmm. development that I'm working on too, which again, you'll need to go to My Rules Are Better if you want to hear more about folks. But um, as we're kind of coming to the end of this recording, I think, yeah, in some yeah, regard, yeah. what topics have we not yet covered? What 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 things would you like to uh, conclude this recording with? Well, the, the one little thought I had was, you know, we talked about Buckland and the specific mm -hmm. cave that we're talking about is the Paverland Cave in the Gower in South Wales and that the remain the human remains found they thought were were female 
but actually they were male. And they go back about 24,000 years or something, don't they? Something like that. And I just want... Oh, okay. Um, So that's brilliant. Um, And I wanted to say that as a child, my my mum was really fascinated by this. And I remember as a child um, being taken there by my... Uh, by my mum and we couldn't we couldn't get down the walkway that mm. the, the, it was too slippery and tricky yeah. she kept going I went back <laughs> with my dad and she walked down but the, the the tide was too high and then when my when my mum died in 2015 uh, my sister and I actually went there and mm-hmm. we secreted a little bit of ash uh, near as near as where we could and we threw a bit of ash into the sea. Mm. Um, so a bit, some of her ashes are at the Paviland site. Mm. So um, I'm, you know, th- this is a, a, a particularly resonant mm. uh, topic for me. So I'm very much looking forward to your hunt. And I'm well, I will, when, when I record the Buckland book video, which I will do, I'm, I'm debating doing it at the same time that I explain the dice um rolling out maybe i'll do it separately i will take extra reverence now i know your familial connection with the uh, said cave the line art alone mm-hmm. makes early D maps seem frivolous the just the, <laughs> this is some of the most beautiful illustrative work you could ever imagine associated with a topic which is just fascinating and at the time clearly mm-hmm. revolutionary mm-hmm. um so Anyway, I'll make sure I'm in a well-lit room and my camera hand will not be shaking as I take you through um, your Please, work. If you can think of a way to use your amazing spinning uh, Lazy Susans or whatever they are, the spinning oh, I don't know displays, how then I don't know either, but <laughs> maybe know, like but a I'll, newspaper. I'll you know, those newspapers in the old films, yes. you know, if you could get the book to spin it into view, I don't know. Uh, thank you very much, Tom. Um, that's been a really great chat. And as always, there's there's more. And I look forward to when we do talk more. Thank you. Yeah, we should talk more anyway. I think certainly it was like eight months since our last discussion in My Rules Are Better. And it's, I think, been a similar length of time in your recording, maybe even more. So yeah, yeah we, need, we need but, to talk more, I think. But, you know, I, 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 the, the pandemic, I think, really has you know knocked certainly for me but it seems like it's it's had it's well you know and you you know it's had an impact on these these routines and your where you can direct your thoughts and what you can bring yourself to do and schedule yourself to do i think Mm. it's had a funny effect yes and it will continue to unfortunately so so here's to more regular conversations in the new normal Amen. Mm. Barney, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, you, Tom. Bye.